0: Today on CityCast Salt Lake, as Salt Lake City prepares its bid for the 2030 Winter Olympics, I've been thinking a lot lately about Denver. In the 70s, Denver became the first city in Olympic history to reject hosting the games. So I called up Bree Davies and Paul Caroli from CityCast Denver to talk through Utah's Olympic aspirations and to get a temp check on the games more broadly. It's Thursday, February 17th, 2022. I'm Ali Bayarta and this is Citycast Salt Lake.
1: <laughs>
0: Brian Paul, welcome to Citycast Salt Lake. Citycast Denver, welcome to Citycast Salt Lake.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: <laughs> I'm excited to chat with you. So basically this is what's going on. Salt Lake City wants the Olympics badly, and I'm not sure that I do. And I feel like maybe there are people out there that share my opinion, but I haven't found a ton of them. And so my first question for you is like, where are you both at on the Olympics on a scale of one to 10? Paul, you first.
2: 10 being like this is your about thing. it. One being yeah. like, uh, I mean, I, I think it's great. I, I'm obviously conflicted about it like every other person on earth, I imagine. But um, yeah, I mean, I have such a strong nostalgic connection to it like a lot of people do, On the one hand, and then on the other hand, I recognize that the institution of the Olympics and the bureaucracy and all of the corporate influence on the games has been, for the most part, really, really negative.
0: So you're a six? (laughs) I'm going to force you (laughs) to assign a number.
2: I'm a five in a tribute to the five Olympic rings.
1: (sighs) Wow. I didn't know Paul mm-hmm. was going to go hardcore lukewarm on this. I what? know. I
0: thought you were going to come in mm-hmm. as like a nine Paul.
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm a rational person. They're, look at what the Olympics are. It's a calamity every two years. It's always a disaster. <laughs> like, there's always budget overruns. It always exposes all of these problems in the host mm-hmm. city. Maybe it makes them worse in mm-hmm. a lot of cases. It feels like every host city, I, I don't want to get ahead of it. <laughs> I'm saying Bree's stuff. The
0: Olympics is great. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Do your job, Paul. Your job is to be pro-Olympics. You're in supposed this.
1: to be my contrarian, Paul. That's Paul's – Paul is really good about that on our show, just like as a side note. He's a good mm. – he's always the good questioner to my hardcore leftist politics. Yeah. <laughs> but uh – All right, Bree. One to ten. I'm a zero. I mean <laughs> – and it's funny because the it's funny because the Olympics are going on right now, right? And um I've actually watched more of them than Paul has. So Interesting.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Bree's actually secretly a bigger Olympics fan.
0: <laughs> okay, we're immediately in the gray space, I feel like.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's hard to watch the Olympics in China and and ignore what you're seeing in the background. I mean, you're seeing like nuclear reactors in the background where they've brought in snow to do these epic things, which is the part that we're watching, the pageantry, the competition, the being on the world stage. I see all those things as, as being exciting and beneficial. But if we zoom in to a city perspective, I'm the biggest booster for Denver out there, but I'm also the biggest critic. And I'm critical of our policies and how we handle big things like this. So for me, the issue is I don't want us to take on something like the Olympics for the repercussions it will have on generally our most marginalized folks in the city. And that's mostly, we have a housing crisis. We have a crisis of houselessness in the city. I I know Salt Lake is not different. And my concern is what happens to those folks when we take on something like this? When Mm -hmm. bigger things are coming to town, we tend to see more policing on our homelessness. And my fear Mm -hmm. is that will be a huge part of the Olympic bid is to let's sanitize Denver or, or Salt Lake and, Completely. and hide these folks, not solve our problem, but hide them. Right. And, and so that's my biggest thing. And then also it's a money suck. Whether we pay for yeah. it or not, we're going to be paying for it. There's so many other things in our city that could be getting those resources and making us a really mm-hmm. great city for the world stage. And the Olympics is not going to make us a better city.
0: No, I feel the same. The cost, not just like the cost to the city, but also who is this for? Because when the Olympics come to your city as a local, you become an extra. It's not for you. You're the host. And therefore, like, you're just an extra. I'm not going to be able to afford to participate in the Olympics. I'm just going to be watching it on TV like everyone else. And so there's that. And then I think another crisis that Denver and Salt Lake share is climate. We are in the greatest drought in the past 61 years here in Salt Lake and watching them blow, I think, 1.2 million uh, cubic meters of fake snow on the mountains in China. And seeing that, frankly, like, yeah, we get a little bit of snow, but like not a ton. We would absolutely be blowing a ton of it in order to host this event. It's like water from where? From where? I don't know.
1: We already make fake snow for our industry known as skiing.
2: This is one of the aspects of the Olympics where the conversation hasn't really kept up with the reality of the way the games are organized. And the same thing about the funding too, like the games aren't publicly funded. That's just not how it's done anymore. Like even the Olympics recognizes that public funding was a disaster for most host cities that attracted the games. And now most of the games are privately funded. That's what's happening in Beijing, at least I think. And then on the environmental aspect, the Olympics used to come with this other promise of a lingering legacy in the city. Like there would be an Olympic village built. There would be a new stadium built that would host the opening ceremonies. There would be all these, you know, other impacts, investments, perhaps. That's not how they do it anymore. In South Korea a few years ago in Pyeongchang, one of the main reasons why they won the Olympics is because they had this really innovative bid that was all based around modular construction. So anything that they built, they could tear down and reuse after the games. So the impact like by design was to be minimal. Like I'm not saying it would be nothing, like it would still be athletes flying in from all over the world. That's like hundreds of people, hundreds of air miles.
0: I think that raises a really interesting question, which is, are they gonna eventually run out of cities that want to host these games? And <laughs> They and, are, it it's happening It does already. feel like it's happening. And if they do, then what does reforming the Olympics look like? Is that going to be the thing that pushes it into a reformed Olympics? Can they be reformed?
2: I mean, everybody who's like really involved in this, these discussions right now, this is the question. How do you, how do we change it? Cause it's not working. Um, I think there's a lot of compelling ideas on the table. One would be just have it be in Athens every year. You know, this is an ancient Greek tradition. They already have the facilities cause they hosted the summer games in 2004. Just, Every four years, go back to Athens. That doesn't that make sense? That feels right. Um, carry on the tradition in that way, and you can see the same thing with the Winter Games. Maybe it's a rotation. Maybe some. Maybe every every ten years, every decade or so, we do it in Salt Lake City or Lake Placid, just because these are places that have the facilities that have some experience.
0: My interpretation is that that's actually part of Salt Lake's bid, because I've seen a lot of quotes from members of the committee in the papers saying they'd love to have it every 16 years in Salt Lake. Like their dream is that they set up Salt Lake to be a semi-permanent host of the Olympics. You make an interesting point, because now I'm like, maybe that's better
1: than having like a one
0: and done approach.
2: Yeah, I mean, you'd get good at it. Right. right? Well, and the facilities
0: could
1: be reusable in some capacity, because that's, you know, one of the biggest criticisms is. You can go online and look at 10 abandoned Olympic venues across the world or whatever. For me, it's like I think about Denver in the 70s versus Denver now. Um, I could see why a bid was maybe more attractive then. We were a little cow town. People didn't necessarily know about us. The tourism draws weren't as big as they are now. We have not anything near that, that problem at this point. People want to live in Denver. People, when this is like the sign to me, is like as a person that grew up here in the music scene, when people are moving from New York City's music scene to be in Denver's music scene, we don't need help getting people to Colorado. I don't, I just don't see a need for it. And I just see it being a burden on our infrastructure that's already burdened. And, um, Denver has what I call a shiny bobble problem, which is we look at really big, fun, shiny projects and throw a ton of money at them. When I see a big project like the Olympics coming is, I want to solve these other problems before we attract more people. We need to take care of ourselves first. Right.
0: For us, I think as a city... And as a state, our governor kind of said it best. Um, governor Spencer Cox said he thought the Olympics were healing of Utah's inferiority complex.
1: And <laughs> I love that he I, admits know, it. I mean, I will Denver say like, won't I think admit it's that a- it wants to be somewhere else. We want <laughs> right. to be as big as something else. We just really don't like being ourselves. He just said right. it. Right. He said the quiet part
0: out loud. And do I think it's a good politically set? Sa- like I do. I think it's a good way to govern. Not necessarily. But I'm like, OK. We can have that conversation because Salt Lake, I mean, has had and continues to have an inferiority complex. I think everyone in the Mountain West knows it. And so if that's what this is about, then like, let's have that conversation. But let's not put it behind the smokescreen of this is about the athletes or this is about resourcing our communities, because I don't think it
1: is. I just had this thought, like, what if... Because the Olympics were coming, our city's response was, let's finally get our transit system together. What if the Olympics coming meant, oh, man, we are going to work as hard as we can to build workforce housing and do all these things? And I would be like, yes, but it's not generally a driver for us to make things better overall.
2: Yeah, that's the elusive dream scenario bid is like, how can you craft a bid that works for the city and works for the Olympics? And it's just proving more and more difficult.
0: Brie, why did Denver say no in the 70s? Because the Denver you described earlier, you sort of implied that they would have every reason to say yes.
1: So last week on our show, we had Patty Calhounhan, is the editor-in-chief of Westward, our alt-weekly. She has been running that newspaper since 1977. So she has been in the thick of that change in Denver. And what she said really made sense to me, which was the good old boy network that was used to running the city and running the show, the, you know, the big business interests, thought, oh, we can pony up this big bid and just push it right through and our citizens will say yes. And our citizens said, we don't want that. I don't know if Salt Lake City has this issue too, but there's a lot of mythologizing of us as this wild west town where anything can happen, but it also is this like relentless individualism. And I think people actually exercised that in the the grassroots campaign to say no said no, actually, we as the people don't want it. But I think, Paul, you might have a better response to why we said no.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to two big things. I mean, it's the it's the grassroots campaign against everything you just laid out. I mean, there's this old boy network trying to force it through. They did a terrible job. Their plan was just like awful, like nakedly terrible. Uh, they... Said that they were going to host downhill skiing events on a mountain that doesn't have any snow. Why would you do that? Why would you even put that on paper? That's you mean what's idea. happening right and, now? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, they they were going to take the the biathlon route and go through people's backyards in <laughs> oh. uh, a mountain town near Denver, and just like the budget was all wrong. The the they were going to put uh, the Olympic Village on uh, the campus of one of our universities in the city during the semester. Just terrible ideas all Whoa. the way up and down. So that's the one part, the grassroots. But then the other part is is the charismatic figurehead of the movement, which was uh, Dick Lamb, who was at that time just a young man in the legislature. He was an accountant. Um, and through his leadership of this anti-Olympics movement, you know, he was this like rugged individual. Through his leadership, he, he really launched his own political career and went on to be governor and one of the most beloved governors I think in our state's history
1: and no less problematic I mean we have to be honest about Dick Lim, too as he had some Course, very problematic yeah. views about uh, women and and uh folks who have immigrated here but Paul makes an excellent point that it, the no on the olympics movement had a figurehead that was uh, catalyzing and electrifying people were interested in what he was doing and like wanting to f- you know people want to follow somebody who's got a very specific view of something sometimes and if a, if a grassroots campaign can get that, you can't buy that with money. You know what I mean? You can't buy good publicity that a person can actually create in people.
2: It's the embodiment of the Olympic spirit in itself. I mean, for him to go up against this insurmountable force, this group of old cronies who had been running this state and this city for so long, and to overcome that just through the sheer force of the like the strength of his arguments, the power of his experience and his ability to communicate with people. That's human aspiration. That's why people tune in every evening to watch these events.
0: That's a powerful narrative. And it also kind of perfectly and ironically parallels the Mitt Romney narrative, which is in Utah's case, the old cronies were the Utah Olympic Committee, which were being charged with everything from sex scandals to perjury to bribery and Mitt Romney came in and it launched his political career to be the Olympic savior interesting um and so very like similar but different in that having an aggressive stance on the Olympics can launch a political career. And with Salt Lake bidding, I have to wonder if perhaps that's also very interesting to some of our current electeds, because they've been very aggressive in papers and in public statements about being like, it's not about us, it's about the athletes. And I usually feel like when someone has one talking point, and it's that it's not something that usually is that thing. <laughs> and so... You're not buying it. You got to wonder. You're not buying it. You got to wonder. Well, thank you both for your time and for hashing this out with me. It's nice to talk about the sort of similarities yeah. and differences in our cities. And thanks
2: for joining me. Thanks for having us. Well, yeah, likewise, Allie. All, all good feelings from this side of the Rockies.
0: Well, we'll see what happens. You might have to get in your cars and drive out here for (laughs) 2030 to witness the spectacle. You can stay in my apartment. I'll rent it to you for $2,000 a night.
1: (laughs) I will be in Florida. (laughs) You are smart.
0: One more thing before we go. There are 22 days left in the legislative session, but who's counting, right? There's a lot of bill traffic up at the hills, so here's a speedy roundup of what's going down. Ready? There will be a tax cut, which seems good, and we'll also get a little cash back next year, but it will draw $200 million from Utah's education fund, so I'm calling it a net loss. Lawmakers decided they will not repeal the death penalty in Utah. The bill to do so didn't make it out of committee. There's a hateful bill now in play that would evaluate the weight, height, and wingspan of transgender student athletes to determine if they can compete on sports teams that align with their gender. A bill that would guarantee state employees paid bereavement leave after a miscarriage or stillbirth passed the Senate and is headed for the House. There's a gondola-related Senate resolution that calls for the least impactful solution in Little Cottonwood Canyon. And the Education Committee is looking at a bill that would roll out funding for full-day kindergarten across the state if parents want that option. Shout out to all the reporters who are up at the Hill every day making sense of this process. You are the real heroes. And if you see one around town, you should buy them a drink. That's all for us today on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you to the CityCast Denver team for joining the show. And if you want to get Denver's Pulse, I encourage you to check out their podcast and newsletter too. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.